0: Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Revelation chapter 8 this morning. Revelation chapter 8, the seventh seal, trumpets of doom. Uh, Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word please? Revelation chapter 8, trumpets of doom. John says, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars So that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Father, your word says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We thank you, God, that you have told us these things. That we can prepare beforehand. That we can experience grace and mercy and forgiveness in the place of judgment because the bible says to all of those who are in christ there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus god i pray that if there's even one here today who does not know jesus christ that they they would come to you while the door of grace is still open lord we know there's coming a time that door will close And it will be eternally too late. But again, we thank you God that you have warned us of these things. Nobody can say, but pastor, I didn't know. Because we do know. We've read in your word. We thank you for this love letter that you've given to your children. And I pray that our ears and our hearts would be attentive to it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the oldest known folktales is Chicken Little. Now you've probably read that story to one of your kids before. It goes something like this. Chicken Little likes to walk in the woods. She likes to look at the trees. She enjoys the sights and the smells of nature. She loves looking at the flowers and listening to the the birds singing. Now one day while Chicken Little is walking in the woods, an acorn falls from a tree and hits Chicken Little in the top of the head. Oh my, 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 the sky is falling. I must run and tell Mr. Lion about it. And so Chicken Little begins making her way to the home of Mr. Lion. She runs and runs and meets the hen on the way. Where are you going, asked the hen. Oh, Henny Penny. The sky's falling and I'm going to tell Mr. Lion about it. Well, how do you know the sky's falling, Uh, asked Henny Penny. Well, it hit me on the head and so it must be so, says Chicken Little. Well, can I go with you? Sure you can go with me, Henny Penny. Come on, let's run. Let's run quickly. And so the two of them run until they meet Ducky Lucky. The sky's falling, says Henny Penny, and we're going to tell Mr. Lion about it. Well, how do you know that the sky's falling, asks Ducky Lucky? Well, because it hit Chicken Little in the top of the head, and so it must be true. May I come with you, asks Ducky Lucky. Come on, says Henny Penny, and so all of the three of them run until they meet Foxy Loxy. Where are you going, asked Foxy Loxy. Well, the sky is falling and we're running in a hurry to tell Mr. Lion about it. Well, Foxy Loxy asked, do you know where Mr. Lion lives? I don't, said Chicken Little. I don't either, said Henny Penny. And you know, come to think of it, I don't either, says Ducky Lucky. Well, I do, said Foxy Loxy. And if you'll come and follow me, I will show you. And so they follow him and he walks on and on until he comes to his den. Come on, come right in, says Foxy Loxy. And they all go in, but they never ever come out again. Now depending on the context of that story, there's several morals behind it. On the one hand is the moral that the story can be used to describe those who see the worst in everything. Maybe you know somebody like that. Something small can happen and they blow it so far out of proportion just like Chicken Little did with that acorn falling on her head. Well, another moral of the story would be that you can't believe everybody all the time. Foxy Loxy wasn't telling them the truth. He just wanted a good meal. And so he was luring them into his den. Well, as we look today at Revelation 8, we see indeed that the sky is falling. And it's not a children's fable. It's the inspired word of God telling us how God is going to wrap things up before the end. Now what we see in this section of the book of Revelation is that there is sort of a a dual purpose to this section of the book. One purpose in this section is to show that one day God's patience does indeed come to an end and he pours out his righteous anger and judgments on an unbelieving world. Still another purpose of this section is that it shows the long-suffering of God. He brings tribulation on the world to wake men up. He's long-suffering and patient and not willing that any should perish. And so he brings disaster on the world to force the issue with some people. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about that He said anybody who has watched gluttons Shoveling down the most exquisite foods As if they did not know what they were eating Will admit that we can ignore even pleasure But pain insists upon being attended to God whispers to us in our pleasures Speaks in our conscience But shouts in our pain Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Revelation chapter 8 is like God's megaphone. Now I feel the need to recap a little bit of where we have been so far and where we're going so you'll sort of understand the big picture of the book. You'll remember back in Revelation chapter 1, John received the vision of the glorified Christ. And the vision that he received there of Jesus was a much different picture of Jesus than we see in the Gospels. In the gospels we see the suffering servant Jesus was despised and rejected of men and finally they put him on the cross Because in his first advent that's why he came he came to bear our sin on the cross But in the book of Revelation we see a a vastly different picture of the Lord Jesus It is the picture of the resurrected, ascended and glorified Jesus And we know that one day he's coming again for his bride, the church Then in chapters 2 and 3 John writes to those seven churches Because the Lord Jesus had a message to each one of those congregations And those congregations signify congregations that would last all the way down through the church age And then in chapters 4 and 5 we see John caught up to heaven And he sees images of worship going on in heaven as he sees God seated upon his throne. Now I agree with those interpreters that believe somewhere in chapters 4 and 5, at least before we get to chapter 6, that the church has been raptured out of here. Because it would be so strange indeed to me if from chapter 6 to 19 When we're seeing tribulation being poured out on the world It would be very odd to me if the church were not even mentioned one time And that's exactly what we see beginning in chapter 6 The church is not even mentioned one time And so I realize it's an argument from silence But it's a powerful argument. It seems to indicate that the church has been taken out of here before God unleashes hell on the earth. And then we get to chapter 7 that we looked at last week and we see an interlude. It's like the pause button has been pushed and the narrative stops a minute because God is taking time out to seal those Who belonged to him during the tribulation. And we see both the Jewish and the Gentile element. The 144,000 are sealed out of all the tribes of Israel. And it signifies exactly what Paul says in Romans 11. That God is not done with the Jew yet. God is going to do something in the tribulation to stir the Jew to jealousy and a massive number of Jewish people are going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to be saved. That image Paul gives is that the natural olive branch is being grafted back into the olive tree. And then in the rest of chapter 7, we see Gentiles being saved from every tribe and nation and, and people. From all over the globe, people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before these judgments continue again, God is making sure that those who belong to Him are sealed and they're preserved for His safekeeping while all these judgments are taking place. And now we get back to the narrative. The the pause button is released and the narrative continues to advance again in chapter 8. And what we see in chapter 8 is the seventh seal is broken. And this seventh seal is so very important to understand. It consists of seven trumpets each of which describes a judgment. And the seventh trumpet will usher in seven bowls of wrath which will carry us all the way down to chapter 19. And the conclusion of the great tribulation. Now as you can see the seventh seal is packed full of the judgment of God. Now again, we're going to see how these trumpets accomplish two purposes. Number one, they're trumpets of doom and they're signaling God's wrath on unbelievers. And secondly, they're like megaphones giving the unrepentant yet another opportunity to come to God's grace in the midst of pain. Now start with me again in verse 1. John, What I want you to see here, first of all, is the silence. We're going to see today the silence, and secondly, the supplication, and thirdly, the storm. But first of all, the silence. John says, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now preachers joke that here we have a proof text. That women aren't going to be in heaven Because it says there was silence in heaven for a half an hour If you were to go back in Revelation the previous chapters You would see that uh, heaven has been anything but silent Silent if you were to trace it out from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 7, what you would see is that worship in heaven has been very lively. Go back through and trace it sometimes, uh, even, using, even trying to spot the word loud. Loud. It talks about loud singing and loud shouts of praise, and, and, and the angels are, are crying out loudly, and the four living creatures, and the 24 elders, and, and everybody is crying out loudly before God and before His throne. In chapter 7 and verse 10 it says And crying out with a loud voice saying Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying Amen Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power And might be to our God forever and ever Amen And so we've seen in chapters 4 and following that worship in heaven is is evidently very lively and very energetic. And it's filled with noise. And then we come to chapter 8 and all of a sudden there is this strange and eerie silence. And the implication is that all of the inhabitants of heaven when they see what is about to happen with these trumpets being blown they are so awestruck at the severity of it that they're just sort of taken aback for a moment. They're in awe of the destruction that is written on this section of the scroll. And so this uh, this half hour of silence has been described as a stunned silence. It's the silence of foreboding. The silence of intense expectation. The silence of awe at what God is about to do. Folks, there are times when silence is the only appropriate response that we can offer. Habakkuk 2.20 tells us the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him. The world is so busy, we're caught up in all the activities of the world as we're making a living and trying to raise our kids and we're running here and there and everywhere and we're about so many things and we're so active and preoccupied. There are times that we need to just get still before God and silent before God and we need to worship God and we need to praise God. And we just need to be in awe of him and what he does. Next, John sees seven angels standing before God. This seems to be a very unique grouping of angels. The verb stand is in the perfect tense, which indicates that to some degree, this has been the habit with these angels they stand before the Lord. Now the Bible describes various ranks and orders of angels for us We we read about the cherubim and the seraphim We read about archangels like Gabriel and Michael And then we read about thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities and powers Evidently Gabriel was one of these angels who stands in the presence of God because when Gabriel came to to Mary and Joseph to tell them about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, he identified himself to Zacharias as Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So here are these angels standing in the presence of God and John sees trumpets being given to them. Now this is consistent with the teaching of Jesus that angels play a part, a very important part in God's eschatological judgments. Trumpets likewise are used frequently in the Bible In fact, probably the most uh, important or prominent instrument in the Bible You see, they were associated with many events In the Old Testament, the trumpet would be blown to call Israel into worship and solemn assembly in some of those sacred holidays that they celebrated the trumpet would be blown to to summons them to war. Or when they were about to coronate a new king, trumpets were blown. And then the New Testament tells us that a trumpet is going to be blown when the Lord Jesus comes for his church in what we refer to as the rapture. Now each trumpet unleashes a very specific judgment of greater intensity than the first six seals but not as destructive as the bowls will be that we'll see later on. And so again, we need to understand there is this growing intensity with each judgment. I described it to you. If you were standing on, on the on the seashore, standing there on the sands of a beach, and you were watching waves come in, and all of a sudden there was a there was a hurricane that had been predicted, and you're standing there. Hours before the hurricane hits, what you would notice is that the waves start coming in With a greater intensity and a greater speed And that's what we see in all of these judgments So with the ones we see today, the intensity and the severity is growing a little bit more Than what we have previously seen And again, everybody in heaven understands what is about to take place and how awesome it's going to be and the devastation that is going to happen to the earth. And so they're in stunned silence for half an hour. And then secondly, I want you to notice with me the supplication beginning there in verse 3. It says, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints On the golden altar before the throne And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints Rose before God from the hand of the angel John sees here another angel Now some interpreters interpret this other angel as describing Jesus Christ because of the intercessory activity that is being described here. Now, I don't agree with that. You see, Jesus is never described in the Bible simply as another angel. In fact, when he is compared to an angel, he is described as the angel of the Lord. He is the angel, not just simply another angel. In fact when we see Jesus in the book of Revelation he's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the son of man, the first and the last, the living one, the son of God, he who is holy and true, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb, the alpha and the omega. And we could go on and on with that, but he is never described simply as another angel. Well, John points out that the angel comes and he stands there at the altar. Now, here's an Old Testament picture of the tabernacle worship and then the temple worship after they moved into the temple. In the Old Testament the priest would twice a day take hot fiery coals from the brazen altar and they would bring those over into the holy place to the incense altar and those fiery coals would ignite the incense which would rise toward heaven and that was symbolic of the prayers of the saints. And so John sees this angel here taking much incense and and it shows the multiplied prayers of the saints. And we're told here that these prayers went up before God. Now it's believed that these prayers at bare minimum are the prayers of the tribulation saints. Those who during the tribulation come to faith in Jesus Christ And they give their lives for their faith And it may be limited to that But there's nothing to stop us from saying uh, These prayers may symbolize all the prayers of all the saints through all the ages Who have cried out to God in moments of distress and folks, it's a lesson to us here that God hears our prayers Incense, when, if, if you light incense, it gives off this pleasing odor and, and that's how our prayers are being described That our prayers are like this pleasing odor that comes up to God And God acknowledges the prayers of His people Sometimes we can be going through something difficult in our lives or we've got all kinds of burdens on our heart and we go before God in prayer and we might be tempted to wonder, does God really hear our prayers? And the Bible assures us, yes, indeed, God does. That's why we're told to pray without ceasing. And James 5 says the prayers, the the effectual prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Now understandably so. Sometimes we go before God in prayer and we just don't know exactly what to pray for. Well Romans 8 says in a moment like that the Holy Spirit also intercedes Uh, For us, according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit understands the will of God and He understands our needs and He's able to perfectly match the two together and He makes intercession before God for us. We're to pray in the will of God. We're told in the book of James, chapter 4, that we're not to pray selfishly so that we can just get things to spend on our own pleasures. But again, the Bible assures us that prayer is never a waste of time. Folks, so much can be accomplished in our life through prayer. Don't ever discount the power of prayer. We get so busy about life we think we got to run over here and do this and fix this and and then run over here and try to take care of this matter And, and we need to just get still before God and we need to take all of our burdens before God and as 1 Peter 5 says we need to cast all of our care upon God because he cares for us. And as we pray Our prayers are going up before the nostrils of God like this sweet smelling odor. God acknowledges the prayers of the saints. And right here this section shows us something else as well. It shows us that vengeance does not belong to us. As the Bible says vengeance belongs to God He says vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord If these are the prayers of the tribulation saints who, are, who have suffered before God And they've been saying God how long How long are you going to continue to allow all this wickedness to go on on the earth Notice here that we see God taking action He is answering the prayers of his people and he's bringing judgment on the world. But the point is, it's God doing it. Judgment belongs to God. And it's the result of these supplications. Now thirdly, I want you to read with me again verses 5 and following because I want you to see the storm again. In verse 5 it says, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. Heaven's half hour of silence is now over and judgment on the earth is resumed after the interlude of chapter 7. Now verse 5 here seems to be in direct response to the prayers of God's people. All of the storms that are about to break loose here that we're going to read about God's people have been praying, they've been making supplication And all these prayers have been uh, rising up before God And this angel takes these prayers and he casts them down to the earth And and the judgment and the trumpets begin Showing here that God is responding to the prayers of his saints What we see is the first trumpet in verse 7 Now let me say something here. People today are very concerned about saving the environment. What do we hear about? What do we hear about just about daily? People talking about global warming and and the ozone and pollution and, and rainforest and all this. And certainly God's people do need to take care of God's planet. We need to be good stewards. But the damage that that people have done to the earth Is nowhere near the damage that God is one day going to do We need to be reminded folks that we are strangers here This world is not our permanent home We're told not to love this world nor the things of this world Because this world and the things of this world are passing away 2 Peter 3 talks about it, that there's coming a day of global warming, that God is going to burn everything up. He's going to destroy everything. And so Peter says in in 2 Peter 3.10, what kind of people ought we to be? He says we ought to be people who are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Sometimes we need to be reminded sometimes as we go through life Boy, we get awfully attached to this world, don't we? We start just getting so attached and we need to be reminded That we need to be laying up our treasures in heaven Because this world as it is right now is not going to last Now the first trumpet includes hell which is oftentimes associated in the Bible with divine judgment. And then we see the combination of fire mixed with blood, and that's reminiscent of Joel 2.30. The prophet Joel saw this day coming. God revealed it to him way back in the Old Testament days. Now folks, what we're seeing here is much like the plagues that God sent on Egypt. And we're told here that one-third of the earth is burned up, a third of the trees are burned, and all the green grass is burned. Now, one-third is a reminder that even though it's bad, the worst is yet to be. Now, imagine the effect this is going to have on crops and on livestock. We've all seen on television out west these massive fires. Communities have to be evacuated and, and the people, they lose their home, they lose their neighborhood, they lose their businesses. I mean, they just they just lose everything. Could you imagine something happening where one-third of the landmass of the earth is destroyed this way? That's what he's talking about here. This begins, what he's talking about here is the beginning of fitting judgments on those who have worshipped the creation rather than the creator People talk about Mother Earth, well it's like God saying, okay I'm going to destroy Mother Earth and then who or what are you going to worship? I tell you what, Earth Day is going to be a sad day that year And then we see the second trumpet, verses 8 and 9 The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire Was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed Now while the earth's population is trying to recover from the first trumpet Look at what happens next I want you to notice verse 8 says something like a great mountain. It doesn't necessarily say a great mountain, it says something like, indicating here that John is describing something to us in symbolic type images. Maybe it's a great asteroid. I read this week on weather.com that scientists are watching an asteroid right now. It's very, very close to the earth and on February the 15th it's going to be only 17,200 miles from the earth. In fact, closer to us even than some communications satellite. You say 17,200 miles from the earth, boy that sounds like a long way off. Well remember the space shuttle travels at 17,500 miles an hour. So we're talking about something that could be that close. It could be on us in less than an hour. Who knows? One astrologer at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia says... That the real point to be made here is to remind us that such such objects could truly present a real threat to the earth. Indeed, there's also another massive asteroid scientists are also watching. That should it hit the earth, according to scientists at Purdue University... It would be strong, it would be more than three times as powerful of any bomb that was ever dropped in World War II. That's how devastating it would be. And so my point is that lest you think that all of this sounds like some kind of Far-fetched science fiction Folks, he's describing things here that that scientists are already watching and studying and saying could actually happen The result is that one-third of the creatures in the sea die And then he goes on to talk about uh, one-third of all the ships being destroyed now you go on the records uh, of how many vessels are listed uh, in the world. There's somewhere between about 25,000 and, and, and uh, 26,000 vessels that are registered. And so we're talking about probably 8,000 or a little more vessels all being destroyed. And, and, and people talking about how could that be? Well, one thing we need to consider when John talks here about the sea, in, in Bible times, when they talked about the sea, what did they mean oftentimes? They meant the Mediterranean. And already, I mean, the Bible is telling us that over in the Middle East where where things are going to end one day and so you could see all these armies of the world being over there and all these navies and maybe this, this judgment right here affects all of those in some way as they're clustered over there and gathered together. Then the third trumpet Uh, Verses 10 and 11 he says the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star is wormwood that is bitter and the fresh water is poison. Now the word for star here can refer to any celestial body with the exception of the sun or the moon. So here's another celestial body that poisons one-third of the fresh water. And so let's just think about what we've had so far. One-third of the landmass being destroyed, one-third of the salt water, and now one-third of the fresh water. And the result is that many men die. Again, God is sending plagues on the earth just like he did with Egypt. It's important to see that this star is from God. It is a judgment from God. Now Dr. Paige Patterson in his commentary on Revelation mentions that these judgments are from God and so it's really unnecessary to try to give any other kind of human explanation. Nevertheless he says just consider if you will that John may be describing something that he could not understand in his day but we can certainly understand today. Patterson goes on to say, we can imagine nuclear warheads hitting the earth and poisoning the waters. In fact, he cites an example. He speaks of a large body of water right now over in uh, uh, Kazakhstan that's radioactive from an atomic blast some years ago and even to this very day, nothing whatsoever has been able to live in that body of water. And so again, we read these things and it sounds far-fetched But it's Patterson's point now He's describing things that we're already seeing to some degree on a smaller scale on earth That have already occurred just from the hands of men And Again, these are the judgments of God causing all this Now we come to the fourth trumpet in verse 12 The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck And a third of the moon and a third of the stars So that a third of their light might be darkened And a third of the day might be kept from shining And likewise a third of the night And so now the heavens are being affected We had land, we had the seas, had the fresh water Now we have the heavens above All of creation is being affected by these judgments. And it reminds us of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. That all of creation is groaning for the day of redemption of God's children. Folks when the world fell into sin there in Genesis chapter 3 It didn't affect just mankind alone The Bible says it's kind of like a dark cloud or a blanket Has come over all of creation to the point That all of creation is crying out and longing for redemption These trumpet blasts have destroyed much of the earth's ecology just think about the upheaval here sunlight affected what's that going to do to earth's temperatures the seasons will be affected the tides, everything But look at what he says in verse 13 he says Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets That the three angels are about to blow Here's this eagle Now the manuscripts behind the King James Version, if you're reading from that, it says angel. Most of the older and some would say better manuscripts say eagle. One manuscript conflates the two. They say an angel that looks like an eagle. But either way, the meaning is not affected whichever reading you take. This angel or eagle or whatever it is flying overhead, it warns the inhabitants of the earth that they haven't seen anything yet. It's about to get far worse. And so he says, not just woe, but woe, woe, woe. Emphasizing how bad it's going to be. Now folks, let's jump back in our minds a minute and let's remember that with judgments we need to keep our perspective and our judgment. uh, our, 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 Our perspective. Judgments frighten us. And they're supposed to. They're intended to scare us. They're intended to frighten us. They're sent to wake us up, to alarm us, to get our attention. They're also sent to sober us. They have a way of making us look at life. We rearrange our priorities. I hope they help us to reassess life. Again, I think of C.S. Lewis' words that pain is like God's megaphone. Judgments come to us to make us live more wisely And then thirdly let's remember judgment humbles us We see that we're not really in control We're not little gods in control of our own destiny We're not the ones in charge here God is But I want you to remember John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You either come to Jesus Christ as your Savior or He will be your judge one day. You've got a choice to make. You want a Savior who died on the cross for your sins in your place? And through faith in Him and repentance of your sins, you can have new life. All of your sins can be forgiven. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That can be your story or your story can be, you can be one of these that faces the judgment of God. And one day you hear from, uh, you hear from God those words, depart from me, I never knew you. Which way is it going to be? Salvation or judgment? And folks, we read this passage and we've also got to keep something else very important in mind. God's judgments are just as holy and just and righteous as His love is. God does everything proper. The God of this universe, the judge of this universe... Can't do anything that's improper or unjust. And so all of these judgments are just and holy and righteous, just like God's love is. There's some lessons I want to go over quickly in closing. We're to see the mercy of God in this section of Revelation. Folks, we've got to to remember something. We're being told all of this ahead of time. If you go back to the first chapter of Revelation, you can see that there was a blessing promised upon those who read, hear, and act upon the things written in this book. Let me tie that in for a moment with the book of uh, Jude. Jude says... Save some out of fear and some out of love. Some are motivated out of love. Some are motivated out of fear. And in the book of Revelation, what do you have? You have both. Love and fear. But there's mercy because God has warned us ahead of time what's to come. Nobody can say. But God, I didn't know. And so, believe it or not, there's great mercy in the book of Revelation. Secondly, we need to understand that we're to hear God's heart in the book of Revelation. It's like God is pleading with people. He's saying, I want you to repent and believe and come to me while there's still time. And thirdly, we're to see that there is a limit to God's long-suffering. For now, we get up every morning, the sun comes up, the sun sets, the seasons continue on as before. But nobody should use this as an excuse to presume upon God's grace. There's coming a day that the door will be shut and it will be too late. And so there's also an urgency in the book of Revelation. Come to Christ this morning if you never have. Avoid the coming danger. When are all these things going to happen like this? We don't know. All we're told is one day it is going to happen. And when it happens... It's going to be in rapid succession And it'd be too late Besides that you and I are not guaranteed tomorrow We're not even guaranteed the next hour Don't be caught unprepared Come to Christ How about your loved ones or Are they ready to meet the Lord? You may say well pastor I am ready Maybe you just simply need to come to this altar today in a public way or right there in the privacy of your seat and say God, seeing that things are to end this way and I'm to be looking for a new heavens and a new earth Help me to be laying up my treasures in heaven Help me to be redeeming the time I've got my life kind of out of focus And and I'm doing a lot of things with my life, my time, my energies That quite frankly one of these days it's not going to matter God help me to reassess the way that I'm living Maybe that's what your prayer needs to be today Would you stand please Our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens behind me You be the first to come forward If you need Christ I want to pray with you If you're looking for a, a new church home We'd love to be your church home Again, just use this time in prayer. God, help me to use my time wisely. Help me to redeem the time.